Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. It's the Bama Online Podcast. Travis Ryder, senior analyst with you. We are fresh from Columbia, Missouri, where the Alabama Crimson Tide opened the 2020 season with a 38-19 win over the Missouri Tigers. Charlie Potter was there, of course, did an outstanding job providing us with coverage from Faroe Field. And Charlie, I think we both made it back okay. That's a little bit of a haul, though when you straight shot it back from Columbia, Missouri on a Sunday, isn't it? It was. Yeah. I mean, anytime, especially you know, given this off season, you're starting the season, you always look forward to that first road game and, and making the trip, but then um, you <laughs> equally don't want to make the trip back. And, um, you know, it wasn't a late kick, you know, we've been to plenty of road games where it's an 8 PM kick on the SPN. Um, you know, this one started at six, but, there was only one person in the press box when I left. And granted, uh, Missouri has two press boxes. They have a home press box and a visitor press box, which was very shocking to me. Um, but there was only one person there. So I left pretty late, got back to the hotel pretty late. But then, you know, I had to still crank out some some copy and, and turn around and, and leave in the morning. It, it, it was it was rough. Um, I was able to recuperate, though. I mean, we're into the game week number two and uh, i mentioned it before on past podcasts but i like the the format the schedule the knowing what you're going to do each week but still you know after <laughs> spending the summer really just working from home and kind of going at a snail's pace it feels like we're kind of drinking from a, a fire hydrant right now but it's all good it's all good yeah it works out pretty well from a Times game time standpoint, these next couple weeks. I mean, you got Texas A&M coming up Saturday at two thirty on CBS, mm-hmm. and we've learned that Ole Miss, I guess, going to be a five o'clock kickoff uh, in a couple Saturdays. We'll take those times, right? Those aren't bad times, really. No, I, I enjoy the two thirty uh, game on CBS because you you can sleep in a little, get there, and then you know have lunch at the stadium, and then you still have a little time to watch some football when you get home. Uh, so I think that's that's a good one. I don't know if we'll see an 11 a.m. kick this season with it being all SEC games, and um, obviously Alabama's the the draw of the conference. You know, maybe one, but I imagine a lot of them will be in that uh, you know 2:30 or even those prime time slides for sure. What's the best thing you ate on the road trip, Charlie? Ooh, that's tough. Um, you know, we didn't do a lot. I mean, obviously now with you know the the pandemic and everything we, we stopped in st louis but not really for in time to eat we did eat um in downtown columbia for lunch before the game my wife went with me and um uh, we just stopped in at a place that had some outdoor seating so we didn't really do a lot of marquee 
um, food. I, I know there's a there's a place out kind of the Midwest. Anytime we we make it out there, um, that the wife likes to get some frozen custard. So that was pretty good. Uh, otherwise, it was. I mean, we were just very mindful of you know still trying right. to stay masked up and everything like that. Uh, so it, it wasn't you know like we've had on past road trips or even, you know, it's, it's a joy to go to, to LSU because you get to go to New Orleans and just pig out. But this one was kind of lackluster for me, I have to admit, just in terms of food. I mean, I, I expected that going in. I didn't have any huge plans. And I was kind of jealous hearing of some of the guys in the press box of the places they eat. They ate. But you know, we were we were very mindful and, and kind of kept it pretty low key. What about there you? There you go. We turned it into sort of a barbecue tour that a football game kind of fit into it ended up uh you got yeah the st louis barbecue we stayed there friday night in st louis sugar fire smokehouse is pretty well renowned for its barbecue it was good good barbecue you know had some turkey had some uh brisket i always have to do the brisket when i get more out towards the midwest uh it was good stuff but coming back man we stopped in memphis on sunday and went by central barbecue the location down by the uh, the National Civil Rights Museum there, the Lorraine Motel, of course, infamously known for the uh, location where uh, Dr. Martin Luther King was uh, assassinated. In that area there, Central Barbecue was outstanding. I'll tell you this, though. I've said it a couple times since we got back. Jasper, Alabama, stand up. Thursday night, we got kind of an early start headed towards Memphis, and buy you fresh seafood up there in Jasper. I know it sounds crazy, seafood in Walker <laughs> County. But I'm just telling you, man, it sort of shares a gas station, actually. The restaurant does in Jasper. Great sushi, great seafood, props, all the props. I had heard great things about it. And, look, we were in Memphis. We were in St. Louis. We were in Columbia, Missouri on the trip. And I'm still probably going to put Jasper at the top of the culinary list. So there you go. Hey, we're going to fill in some blanks on the podcast as we move into the midweek as the Alabama Crimson Tide uh, prepares for the Texas A&M Aggies at Brian Denny Stadium coming up on Saturday. Uh, Charlie and I, I think, made it through the, the first game injury-free. And Charlie, more importantly, it sounds like Alabama came through that game in pretty good shape physically. Of course, COVID-19 and the, the testing that goes with it, that's a – a day-to-day sort of situation but just from football related activity uh maybe the best news of all from last saturday is is alabama's injury report uh, yeah absolutely they had a couple of guys that visited the medical tent i know demarco helms the defensive back um you kind of got landed awkwardly or got hit on the sideline i didn't see the replay of it um and went to the tent and but he was able to return to the game and evan neal the same thing he had to kind of be helped off the field and and limped off with some trainers under each arm and and he spent a long time in the medical tent but he was able to uh to return he never you know left the field went to the locker room or anything like that and and he came in and, and played some left tackle later in the game so that's always a good sign so um from just an injury perspective i'm sure some guys have some bumps and bruises and things like that but um you know there was nothing really to report uh, even in the the practice practice footage that we saw uh, on monday the first one that alabama put out i didn't see very many black jerseys so yeah i mean that's that's great news for a team that last year at this point uh you saw players you know go down with season ending injuries before the season even started and then 
you had guys like LeBron Ray and some others, you know, get nicked up early on. So definitely a, a good news front for Alabama from that standpoint. Yeah. And with the COVID stuff, right, you just sort of hold your breath and you wait until the, the next uh, Nick Saban availability, which of course will be on Wednesday with the SEC coaches teleconference. And then of course, Nick Saban post-practice on Wednesday evening. I'll also hear from him on his coach's radio program on Thursday nights. You're just trying to get to those sort of mile markers through the week, Charlie, with uh, somewhat of an understanding of, of where the team sits from that perspective, I guess, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and going back to the injury thing, uh, he didn't mention anybody after the game Saturday. He didn't mention anybody uh, on Monday, granted, he wasn't asked specifically about anybody uh, either time, but usually he's pretty good about bringing them up in his opening statement. He did mention uh, Charles Kelly, uh, the, the safeties coach, who didn't or he wasn't at the game um, Saturday. And, you know, you can guess why. Uh, but, you know, I think that's something that he'll either be asked about or addressed, um, you know, Wednesday night after practice. And, uh, you know, that right now, knock on wood, has been really the only um, person they've been without. I was very mindful watching those pregame warm-ups to write down the entire travel roster, and there weren't really many surprises on there just in terms of, of who made the trip. Um, you know, there's some guys, I know Christian Barmore is somebody that people are interested in. He was there, but he didn't really do much. He's been dealing with that uh, knee injury. Um, but yeah, pretty much everybody was accounted for. I think really the, the lone surprise for me, and, and I'm not getting into any, you know, injury or a COVID-19 things, but to see Chase Allen, the walk-on kickoff, I think Joseph Boulevard was maybe the only surprise to not make the trip. Again, you don't know the reason for that other than maybe the freshman uh, walk-on was, was playing better. But from just a, a COVID-19 standpoint, uh, Alabama seems to be in good shape. We'll hear from Saban Wednesday. Um, from what he has to say about that he's not going to release any names or, or anything but they've had really good luck with this I think they've handled it the right way they've had a plan in place all along and you know to so far to only from a game standpoint be missing a, a defensive backs coach and be able to replace him with one of your one million analysts uh, I think that's that's good news for Alabama yeah just a former power five head coach and defensive coordinator and <laughs> Mike Stoops just hanging around the Malmore Athletic Facilities these days. Hey, Charlie, let's get into some filling in of the blanks. In between the Missouri win and the matchup with Texas A&M coming up on Saturday, we'll start by looking back just a little bit. The first one I have for you, the atmosphere last Saturday in Columbia was blank. It's tough because the the press box is closed uh, at Faroe Field, uh, and like I said, there are two press boxes, so I think there was only six or seven uh, Alabama beat reporters that made the trip, and it was us and, and Alabama's uh, media relation people in the front row, so there was maybe 10 people on the front row of an entire uh, section of the press box. And again, it was closed, so the windows weren't open, so you couldn't really hear anything, but I think the best word for me is just different. Uh, and, and that's to be expected. We knew that it was going to be a limited capacity. Uh, I think their AD came out and said they had uh, 11,700 people and they might have had, you know, a, a handful more that, that were able, they were able to squeeze in there. I think the announced attendance was like 11, 738 or something like that. Uh, but it, it was different. Um, you know, they have that field. 
uh, in the end zone where they have a big M that's made out of rock, and it's just a kind of a grassy area where where people can pay and, and choose to sit wherever they want. And and that was marked off kind of like an an advent calendar that you get at Christmas time, where you kind of open the a section and get a piece of chocolate. It was spaced out like that and, and numbered, and so it was it was different. It was a it was a packed house, but you could see plenty of of gray where the bleachers were. And, um, you know, up until really the, the second half, Missouri didn't have a lot to cheer about. So it wasn't just like a, a raucous atmosphere to begin with. But um, being where we were, you didn't really get to, to feel the in, entire environment and everything like that. But it was just different. Um, you know, being spaced out up there in the press box and seeing the fans spaced out and, and everything like that, seeing so much space mm-hmm. on the sidelines, you didn't see you're used to seeing photographers and other people with credentials. There was none of that. It was just, there was a lot of space. And for me, it, it's, you know, the best way I, I can describe it is just different. Yeah. You know, I, Columbia in general, before the game, you know, we went to a, a, a local establishment that, you know, once we got inside, I thought it was pretty obvious that on a typical game day, it would be, pretty busy. In other words, I don't think we could have just walked into this establishment at like one o'clock and just been seated immediately and had lunch. I don't know if you guys ran into something similar uh, in your dealings there on game day, but just Columbia in general, man, it, I mean, it, it felt like it felt almost like June, right. In, Mm -hmm. in a typical year. Uh, to me, I mean, they have a big medical presence there. They have the university medical school and the corresponding hospital and all that. It's very impressive uh, from a campus setup. But, you know, what you typically anticipate on a game day in an SEC town during a football season, because of the situation being what it is, it was, I would say, unfulfilling. Not disappointing, but again, knowing that you have these protocols in place and this is what we have with no tailgating on campus and things like that. Uh, that's the way I would describe it. I thought once in the stadium, it, it wasn't as sort of, uh, empty ish feeling. I, I thought, you know, with the way they had the social distancing and, you know, the, the crowd that they did have perhaps being a smaller stadium capacity, usually around 60,000, maybe that helped. Mm-hmm. And sort of the feel of it and the pre- uh, how it was presented to us uh, from an in-stadium perspective. Uh, I'm guessing that Bryant Denny and some of the other bigger stadiums, it's gonna it's gonna feel a little bit more empty than uh, perhaps say a, a place like Furrow Field. But that's the that's the description that came to mind for me. Um, you know, just kind of checking out the the setup and 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 how they had things uh, designated. The most encouraging individual performance from an Alabama player in the win came from blank Charlie. Who was that guy? You could go with a bunch of people here. Um, I thought Matt Jones played really well, and that's an encouraging development for Alabama. You know, Dylan Moses being back on the field, uh, Jalen Waddle stepping up into an expanded role. But I'll go with Christian Harris, the the other inside linebacker, because we saw him. Uh, flashed to his potential last season several times throughout the year. It seemed like he got more and more comfortable as the year went on. But I think having Dylan beside him and taking a little bit of that responsibility off of his shoulders from a play calling standpoint just allows him to play more freely. And, you know, when he isn't thinking and just playing, 
Christian Harris is uh, a lightning bolt out there, and he showed it with six tackles, uh, a sack, and a couple tackles for loss. He's just he's a guy that just seems like um, he's he has so much potential, and he's just kind of scratching the surface. And with him being able to play with with less pressure on him, I think will work wonders for him as long as Dylan Moses is healthy. And uh, I'll do a one B. Um, we talked about him so much in the the preseason with Will Anderson, just the the hype that was not only you know shared with me, but kind of that I've put on him as well. I mean, I wrote a story uh, last week talking to his high school coach, and I don't I've never talked to a high school coach that said anything bad about a former player, but uh, you know his high school coach there at Dutchtown said he expected Will to to leave the SEC in sacks this season. Now he didn't have a sack. But Will Anderson was every bit as advertised. I mean, he's a guy that was just uh, disruptive, especially when it came to Missouri's option attack. Uh, I feel bad for some of the running backs and the quarterbacks that felt his fury when he got in the backfield uh, before the pitch. But um, I think with him, just with the hype that was surrounding him, I think that that was also an encouraging development for Alabama. Can't go wrong with either of those choices. Um you know, and I think both those guys are pretty much going to be every down guys, too, to go along with Dylan Moses. That's what we saw even in the dime package Saturday night. You saw Christian Harris stay out there. Uh, typically, that weak side linebacker will come off for another defensive back, but Alabama chose instead to uh, uh, leave him out there. And uh, I think that's more of what we're going to see moving forward, kind of like a Rashawn Evans, very dynamic in that way and absolutely on Will Anderson. For a guy who didn't have a sack, I don't know if we've talked about an edge defender as much as we have Will Anderson coming off a performance. Uh, I'll go with Josh Joe. I think we were wondering about that corner opposite Patrick Sertan II, and I thought Josh Joe was really, really good. Some of the maturity uh, issues that you had wondered about in previous years, played with a lot of poise, uh, you know, made plays. I think seven tackles, a pass breakup, a forced fumble, a sack, uh, production points uh, off the off the map, off the charts. And so I'll go with Josh Joe. That was, I would say, probably uh, reassuring as much as it was uh, encouraging. Same thing, I guess. But no, to see the junior sort of be that guy that we've been anticipating, uh, that that alleviates a lot of concerns you have on the back end. Still got some things to probably figure out at some other spots, but man, when you've got those two corner spots that you feel good about, which you probably should after last Saturday, I'll go with Job there. The performance, the performances from Bryce Young and Trey Sanders against Missouri could best be described as blank. And if you need it, another blank, Charlie. Yeah, I I think with Bryce Young, it's still a, a promising showing. I know he was five of eight and three for fifty four yards, and he was sacked a couple times, lost a fumble, and um, you know it, it wasn't just a a breakout performance, I guess you could say. But I, th- I think it was promising because you saw the zip that he can put on the football. It, it was impressive. It just jumped out of his hands, and the speed that he has at the position. I know. Alabama's had some dual threats in the past, whether it was Jalen Hurts or even Tua Tonga-Bailoa. He was a dual threat quarterback coming out of high school. But uh, Bryce Young is an electric athlete. He's fast. Um, and, you know, he was put in a situation where you're going against a talented Missouri defense, and you know they have some backups in along the offensive line and some backups in at running back. And 
Um, you know, maybe if he was given an opportunity with the first team, it'd have been different, but I think it was still a situation where you see the talent. Uh, it's, it's obvious that Mac Jones, uh, is the veteran and the most experienced guy in that group. And, and Mac played a hell of a game, but I think you see why Bryce Young was the second quarterback in the game. First guy off the bench. So, um, yeah, I think you know, promising was something I would go with. And, and one to really um, kind of describe both of these guys, Bryce Young and Trey Sanders, would be to be determined. Just because, like I said, this is a situation where they were put in the game late in the third quarter. And, uh, you know, there were some backups in on the offensive line. And, um, you know, it wasn't what we expected to see from Trey Sanders. But, you know, Nick Saban, you know, pointed out what I just talked about with the offensive line of how, you know, that second group has to improve and things like that. And I wouldn't jump the gun after one performance. Uh, I wouldn't jump the gun on, on really much of anything we saw uh, from the team in the second half because they prepared well, they played well in the first half, and then you know, things started to fall apart a little bit in the second half. But it's the first game after uh, a long preseason, one that we didn't know that would end with an actual football season. So I think for me and, and both of these young guys, I, I think I would just say TBD on them. You know, don't write them off after one performance. Let's see what they can do. You know, maybe when they're given some, some better opportunities and maybe the first unit. I thought for Bryce young, it was validating the performance of his status as a recruit. Uh, I, I don't think again, that you can make any fast and definitive statements about where he goes from here, but in terms of how he got to this point, I thought you saw in, in a limited sample size what you needed to see to understand why he was as highly regarded coming off the high school level as he was. There were some throws, especially on some third downs that he hit, uh, that were really, really impressive. I think a couple of them were to Devontae Smith. And, you know, when you consider this guy didn't have spring practice, it, it didn't look like there, there was a lack of chemistry between him and those receivers already. So he's obviously a fast learner. He's obviously very instinctive. He's obviously very skilled as a, a passer, a smart guy. So my expectation is that he's going to ramp up quickly. Again, when you don't have spring practice and you miss a, a scrimmage uh, in preseason practice, think about the opportunities that he didn't get in the lead up to all this that say guys like Jalen Hurts and Tuatanga Vailoa and even Mac Jones in previous years have gotten as early enrollees. And, you know, with Trey Sanders, I'd say what we saw was understandable. I think similar to Bryce Young, he too could have really benefited from spring practice. You know, three scrimmages in the spring for a guy coming off an ankle injury, even if they had still sort of kept him in somewhat of a limited role, maybe even in a black jersey in some of that scrimmage work, uh, that would have been big for him. So, you know, he's just still trying to get acclimated to sort of the, the speed of the game, I would guess, and, and, and everything else that goes with it at this level. And, and you said it, too. Uh, you know, that second group was in there a good bit. And Missouri wasn't just going to roll over with its first-team defense out there. You know, that wasn't its scout team defense that Alabama had a hard time running the football against. That was still guys like Nick Bolton, guys like Kobe Whiteside, all SEC-type defenders they weren't just going to give it up because they're putting tape out there for the national football league too and the worst kind of tape you can put out there if you're one of those guys is giving it up to a second team offense so 
a lot of things in play there. Uh, I think patience also might be a word to best describe, you know, what needs to happen next and what will uh, likely unfold for for Trey Sanders. We're going to head to a break. We come back. We've got three more fill in the blanks with Charlie Potter, Travis Schreier, thanking you once again for joining us here on the podcast. More of the show right after this. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And we're back with the Bama Online Podcast. Travis Ryder, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, joined by Senior Beat Reporter for the website, Mr. Charlie Potter. And we're into some of our fill-in-the-blank scenarios and Charlie, we're going to get it going, crank it back up right here with another one for you. Given the circumstances surrounding Texas A&M's lackluster win over Vanderbilt last Saturday, Nick Saban's biggest challenge this week is blank. I think it's consistency. Um, you know, if you're focusing solely on Alabama, um, they played really, really well in the first half, both offensively and defensively, but you know, they, they kind of took their foot off the gas a little bit in both regards in the second half. And, uh, I think, you know, from a, a running game standpoint, you want to have more consistency there. I think just defensively, especially when it comes to pass defense, uh, you want to improve in that regard. So if they can put together what they did in the first half. Uh, for 60 minutes, Alabama is going to be tough to beat by anybody. And you know, Texas A&M is going to be a much more challenging opponent. And I wrote it down kind of as a 1B for this, but it's also kind of preparing for the unknown again. I mean, with Missouri, you had a, a new head coach. You had a couple of quarterbacks you had to prepare for. And this week, it's, it's more of a familiar opponent. But, um, you know, just like with Alabama, Texas A&M has had inconsistency issues. And you know, that kind of starts with Kellen Mon at quarterback. I mean, he's entering what feels like his 20th season in College Station, but he just, you know, has consistency issues. And I believe Jimbo Fisher was asked this week if, you know, if that continued in Tuscaloosa, if he would uh, consider making a change at quarterback. And so, you know, with Nick Saban and, and his, you know, minion of analysts, that's something they can prepare for. Maybe take a look at their backups and, you know, what they bring to the table. I'm not saying that Kellen Mond is going to be benched in this game, but at least it's it's been thrown around in the week leading up to it. So again, you're kind of preparing for a little bit of the unknown, and that goes back to that consistency thing, because not only is Alabama wanting to, to play with more of it, but Texas A&M is too. You know, I don't think Nick Saban has to worry about outright complacency with his team, uh, given what we saw from A&M against Vanderbilt and College Station last week. But, you know, this isn't exactly the matchup we were anticipating five or six months ago, right? I mean, there yeah. was a lot of talk when this game was originally set for late November that 
potentially A&M might roll into Tuscaloosa at 10-0. Um, and even though the game's been moved up on the schedule, and it turns out A&M actually will come to Tuscaloosa undefeated. It'll just be 1-0 and instead. You know, so many negative things have happened to A&M in the time leading up to the season where either you talk about some opt-outs of some really key players like Anthony Hines on defense, Jamon Osmond at wide receiver on offense, had a big injury at tight end to Baylor Cup a couple weeks ago. Uh, and it's reflective, I think, in what the, the, the line on the game is. I think this was a game that potentially could have been it was somewhere inside double digits with Alabama being a favorite. Instead, it looks like Alabama might be as much as a three-touchdown favorite before all is said and done. So, you know, I would guess, you know, Nick Saban, to his benefit this week, he can look right here within the league and point it out to his players. Look at LSU last mm-hmm. Saturday at home to Mississippi State. Look at Oklahoma last Saturday at home to Kansas State. So uh, even if that were to to crop up a little bit, uh, he's got some weapons. He's got some ammo there that he can use with his football team on the football field. I, I think, again, looking at this A&M offense, I just don't see enough in the way of playmakers. So for me, it starts with Kellen Mond's legs, right? I mean, this is a guy who's had some success on the ground the last two meetings against Alabama. But if you look at this Alabama defense after last Saturday, Will Anderson, Christian Harris, Dylan Moses, I'd say you're built in a little different way to be able to deal with Kellen Mond this time around than you were, say, a year ago. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, you could just see the the way that, you know, they brought in some of these linebackers and they have speed at that position. I mean, Christian Harris is a former defensive back and a punt returner. Um, and Will Anderson, uh, he gets in the backfield in a hurry. So, and I think even with the defensive line, um, you know, you could potentially see Christian Barmore make his debut. We'll, we'll get an update on that. And I think having LeBron Ray back helps as well. Uh, so yeah, I mean, with with Kellen Mond and the the um, the weapons that he has with his legs and his arm, uh, I think this Alabama defense is much better equipped to to handle that. And uh, you know, that's that's a situation where it goes back to if they. They stop killing and they decide to make a change at quarterback. That's something you have to prepare for. So, um, you know, we'll see. I, I think that, you know, Kellen Mond is, has proven to, to be a problem in the past. I mean, I think Nick Saban and company knows that, and that's going to be a key point of emphasis this week in practice. Charlie, one area of this Alabama team that is most likely to experience change in coming weeks is blank. That's tough. Um, like like we've talked about, you don't really want to overreact after the first game or anything. But if I had to pick one, I, I, I might go with the secondary. Um, I think the corner spots are, are solidified. We know that what Patrick Sertan, the second, brings to the table. And I agree with you. I think Josh Job had a really impressive first game. If he can be uh, consistent and stay within himself, he can be an all-SEC top cornerback. But you look at the safety position, and even at star uh, with true freshman Malachi Moore, uh, you know, we didn't see Brian Branch play at all, even on special teams. You know, that's a, a situation where um, I, I think that he might have, you know, dealt with some, you know, bumps and bruises in the preseason and, and missed a couple of days. Uh, and you know, 
it, it just was a surprise to me we didn't see Brian Branch after the the buzz that he generated early on. And you know, I know Daniel Wright led the defense with eleven tackles, and, and Jordan Battle's the guy I think they've been grooming for the position. But you know, when you talk about the the defensive inefficiencies and, and some of the, the the breakdowns they had, I think it, it kind of came in the back end. So with a guy like Demarco Helms, who has I think done a nice job uh, leading up to the season, maybe they. They look to shift things around a little bit. Who knows? But I, and I'm not saying that's going to happen. That's not a, a prediction I'm making by any means. But if I were to look at one area of this team that could see movement, uh, you know, in the, in the next couple of weeks, that might be the the most likely. I mean, you could look at something like special teams and the specialists, just because they have a couple of walk-ons there that are handling the punting and kickoff roles, and I, and I think the offensive line is in pretty good shape with Emil Ekiori at guard, but. If, if I were, you know, if you were to ask me, gun to my head, where are they going to make a change? I would lean more toward the secondary, just because they have some some options they can choose to move around back there. Sensible, no doubt about it. I'm going to go with the pass rush, and not because I think there's going to be like a wholesale change made at one of the primary positions. But if you anticipate the return of Christian Barmore in the not-too-distant future, you know he's going to be a central figure in that, right? And how they can go about using some of those different linebackers they have, as we talked about. You can keep Christian Harris in there in the Dime Rabbits. Dylan Moses has a background as a pass rusher. He's worked at outside linebacker in the past. So they've got some they've got some some pieces that they can play around with there and Again, Barmore, I think his return could be a big part of that. So I'll go with the pass rush, and we'll move on to our final our final fill-in-the-blank of this latest edition of the Bama Online Podcast. Not much of a sample size to work with, Charlie, but blank is the one player Alabama can least afford to lose moving forward. This one was another one uh, kind of like the most encouraging uh, individual performance where you could name a ton of players, Mac Jones, Dylan Moses, Najee Harris. Uh, you could just, the list goes on and on. But for me, just seeing and what we've talked about with the change from the first half to the second half, um, you know, I think Alabama's depth on the offensive line was very um, noticeable, kind of the drop off. So I think I would go with Alex Leatherwood, the left tackle. Um, you know, when I did the most important players leading up to the season, I ranked him number two just behind Dylan Moses, just because we've talked, you know, all summer long about the lack of depth that Alabama has at the tackle positions. And I think they feel really good about Leatherwood and Neal uh, there as their bookends. And Leatherwood had a, a strong game, as you would expect, when Alabama you know, ran on the left side of the offensive line behind him and Deontay Brown. Najee Harris picked up a good chunk of yardage. So I think that you want to keep number 70 healthy and uh, on the field as much as possible because he makes your offensive line better. And without him, you know, you're going to have Neil at one of the tackle spots, but you just don't have um, a guy of that caliber to fill in. I know they have guys like Tommy Brown and Kendall Randolph. Um, you know, JV and Cohen made the trip, a true freshman. Uh, but they're just not up to the level of Alex Leatherwood right now. And the, the depth there, uh, it, it, was, it was probably a little bit worrisome for Alabama, to be honest. So when you just look at a guy that if he were to go down, it would create problems. Uh, I think for Alabama, I would, I would lean him for one of those tackles. And I sided with Leatherwood just because you know, he's the senior that's been there the longest and, you know, has plenty of playing time under his belt. 
I had the offensive tackles in my top two. And since you went that way, I'll go with Najee Harris. And that's in an era where you hear so much talk about his position being devalued. And I get that. But when you look at the pecking order right now, just like it was over the last 11 games of the 2019 season, it's Najee and then Brian Robinson, which you, you appreciate him and his value as much as anything because he's an experienced guy. And maybe as much as anything else, if you need to protect Mac Jones in some passing situations, uh, that's a guy that you could trust in that scenario. And you can also throw it to him, despite the fact that he dropped what appeared to be a sure touchdown <laughs> against Missouri on Saturday night. But I, I'll go with Najee. Since you went offensive tackle, I'll go Najee Harris. And, uh, you know, he just continues to, to run with that decisiveness and that edge. Um, you know, another game with over a hundred scrimmage yards in the opener, uh, three touchdowns and, you know, the threat that he has, uh, become as a receiver over the last couple of years. Uh, it's a, it's a little bit of an odd pick for me because, uh, typically when you think Alabama running back rotations and staples, right. You think of groups like Damon, Damian Harris, uh, Josh Jacobs, Najee, Bo Scarborough in that mix a few years ago. I just don't think this group is that group. And perhaps one of these young guys is going to ultimately emerge. Maybe, you know, Trey Sanders with, again, some patience. We start to see that from him. Maybe it ends up being Jace McClellan or Roy Dell Williams, a couple of guys who made the trip and saw time on special teams in the opener. But uh, I'll go with 22 for right now. Hey, Charlie, it was a lot of fun, my man. Appreciate you doing it. No, it was. It was good to talk about an actual game. And, you know, I agree before we get out of here on Najee, just because we had talked so long about the, the depth of that running back stable. And, and really, a lot of it stems from what Steve Sarkeesian said in his long press conference of the season and how you kind of want to share the wealth a little bit. But even he, you know, in this first game, it was the Najee Hare show in the first half. And, uh, you know, he's clearly the, the team's best back. And I agree with you, too, about the, the patience with, you know, Trey Sanders. Let's see what he can do behind this first team offensive line if given the opportunity because he was a special guy, uh, you know, coming out of high school. And I think he did some good things in the preseason to generate some some positive buzz there as well. But right now, you know, Najee Harris is one of the MVPs on not only offense, but the entire team, just because of the consistent way that he goes out there and plays. And he's even, you know, trying to be a better leader. We talked to him on Tuesday and, uh, you know, he kind of brushed off his, his YouTube series and everything like that. And he's focusing on being a better teammate right now. And, you know, to hear that leadership and that maturation from a guy that we don't hear from much, I think is a big step for him. There you go. Charlie Potter, as always, good stuff with us here on the Bama Online Podcast. If you haven't already, how about a subscription to the Bama Online Podcast? It's free. It's as simple as a click or two. And you can do it wherever you consume your podcast, whether that's iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Megaphone, you name it. Do it today. And if you don't mind, leave us a rating and a review while you're there. And of course, you want to join us each and every day right there at BamaOnline.com, the roundtable, the premium message board of choice for Alabama Crimson Tide fans globally. You want to be a part of that community as well. For Charlie Potter, Travis Schreier, thanking you once again for joining us here on the Bama Online Podcast. We'll check in with you again real soon. Okay, picture this. 
It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.